The weather's been incredible. So nice, in fact, that yesterday, Jody and I were painting the outside of our house. We had siding that got put up and had to be at least the primer put on it. And I thought, this is incredible. The middle of October, we're outside painting. But this will come to an end. As this week, the rains return. And likely, shortly after the gray and the wet are back, it will be very hard to remember just how incredibly warm and dry October has been so far. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but when it comes to the weather, I have a really short memory. It's raining, and I'm like, it's always raining in Seattle. When we just had this gorgeous time. Similarly, I've noticed in myself and in others that we can change so quickly when it comes to remembering God. It looks something like this. On a Sunday morning, we pray, we sing, we hear God's word preached, we, we celebrate communion together, we hang out with friends new and old, and then we leave. And we're flustered by some maniac who cuts us off as we're driving. We get to the store and we're frustrated by people who are taking so long or are dressed so crazily. And we stop to get gas and we think, is this guy in front of us ever going to finish up? And by golly, he's, he's got one of those stupid flip phones he's still using. And that's just the drive home. No less the rest of the week. It's no wonder that we are called hypocrites. Because we are. The things we say we believe often don't match how we act. And that's what I mean when I say acting hypocritically. As a biblical counselor, I am amazed at how often it comes up in conversations, this disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually act. It's almost as if people, including myself, Forget what is most important. That is, who God is, what he has done, and how he calls us to live. Well, I wonder, why don't we remember? Well, first, it's important we acknowledge that there's different kinds of remembering. There's the remembering or lack thereof that comes with age. And some of you know this all too well with me. It's the kind where you, you leave the kitchen, you go to your bedroom to get, you walk back to the kitchen to try to remember what it was, and you go, oh, that thing, right, and then you go, and, and then that goes on for a while. Thank you, I'm seeing heads nodding, I'm not alone. Now, add to that for us, we're doing a remodel. Our kitchen is no more. Our bedroom is now Sarah's old bedroom. I hear you. Many a time, I will leave the new kitchen or temporary kitchen. I'll walk into the old empty room. It does have a fridge in it, though. We still have power. And I'll open the fridge, and I'll grab some food, and I'll go, 
I forgot to get a bowl. I'll walk back down the hallway, I'll grab a bowl. I'll walk back into the empty room with the refrigerator, I'll get the food with the bowl, and I'll go, I forgot to get a spoon to dish it up. I'll walk back down the hallway, grab a spoon, walk back down, get a spoon. You get where I'm going here. I've thought I should get a Fitbit. It's just to count the steps between one room and another, how many times I'm going back and forth. That's one form of remembering or lack thereof. But there's another. Well, I should say to you, by way of full disclosure, I remember when I was in my 40s hearing somebody talk about this kind of forgetting and saying to myself, geez, I will never be like that. Doesn't God have a way of keeping us humble? Yeah. Another kind of remembering, though, is that kind of remembering that leads us to, to think, to speak, to act in a way, a part, any particular way. That's what happens when we remember God and who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. So why don't we do this kind of remembering all the time? That's what I want to think about this morning. The Bible talks about this issue lots. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Psalm 119, verse 55 says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. I want you to just to, to note something that's going to become a theme. I remember and I do. I remember and I keep your law. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And interestingly enough, in Psalm 77, the psalmist goes on to say, as I began to think about and remember how God acted and what he did, it changed the way I responded, what I did what I thought about, what I remember, impacted how I acted. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and... Repent. Remember and take action. In this case, the action is repent. Remember God. Repent. We're going to look more closely at several passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we're going to begin and refer back to several in the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, that's where we'll begin I'll just tell you as you're moving there, in this book, the fifth one in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting to the people of Israel the deliverance from slavery and then the emphasis upon, 
And where has God had us over the past 40 years as they are preparing to enter into the promised land? Though, as we know, Moses doesn't get to go. But he's preparing the people for this entrance into the promised land. And so he's having them remember where they've been and what's been going on. It wasn't just a history lesson. But more importantly, there was an expectation that in so doing, as in remembering, their future behavior would be impacted. It would be different as a result of that. In fact, one of Moses' passions in the book is remembering God's words, his promises, and his actions, so as not to repeat the nation's previous mistakes. So as we look at what Moses said, we'll continue to think about how this applies to us this very morning. We're going to begin in verse 2 of chapter 8, this first section we're going to glance at. And we'll look at just 2 through 6. If you want to read it with me. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. We'll stop there. Go back to verse 2 with me, if you would. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Stop there, please. I want you to put yourself in the place of one of the people, the nation of Israel. You've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Depending upon your age, you may have been born in the desert, so maybe it wasn't 40 years for you. The Lord God has led you. Now, if you're real young, you might hear that and go, uh, did he not know how to get us there? Why is it taking so long? But God had a very clear purpose. We'll talk about that in just a second. But for 40 years... Sometimes we read that way too quickly. Think about this. Do you find yourself complaining when you have a headache for four hours? Or maybe for four days you've got the flu and are sick? Or maybe it's four weeks or four months there's something going on, or 14 years, and they're wondering for 40 years. What was God up to? He says that he might humble you. 
we could quit today and stop there and just go, our prideful hearts take lots and lots of work. What was he trying to humble them and how did he do that? He said he was testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, this is so critical for us today. He was testing you. Now, let me say the obvious. Did God know how they would respond, or was he giving them an opportunity because he really didn't know what was going to happen? Hopefully, my crazy tone of voice gives you the answer to that one. Of course God knew. Just like God knew when he walked into the Garden of Eden and he says, Adam, where are you? Did God know? Of course God knew where Adam was. God tests us so that we have the opportunity to determine what's really in our hearts. What is it that we really live for most? What is it that we desire to do? And who are we going to live for? Is it God or is it us? And so that's what was happening to them. He was testing them. And how did he do that? He said he humbled you and he, please note the word, he let you hunger and he fed you with manna. Before we go into this, be clear that in this very short section, Moses gives us this overview of God's miraculous work while they're gone. He sends them manna. You remember the stories, right? The Israelites leave, they make their way, they're so thankful that God is part of the Red Sea. They get into the desert, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They say, thank you, God, for giving us all that we need. Thank you for bringing us to this lovely place. Not. Where's all that great food that we had in Egypt as slaves? Where we could eat all we wanted, we were treated so well, but you've brought us into the desert for this? And so they wake up one morning, and there, what looks like where the dew is gone, looks like these little wafers. My, <laughs> I remember the first time I heard this story. I recalled my my upbringing as, as a Roman Catholic, and we used to take communion. We had these little wafers, and I thought, that's what the manna was like. I don't know if that's true. I just remember thinking that. But they could get as much as they wanted for that day, and no more. You remember what happened when some people would go, well, I'll just get a little bit more, and worms showed up in that. And of course, they complained about there's no meat, and so they got quail, and there was no water, right? So Moses hit the rock or threw the log into the water, whatever it might be, and they got their needs met. But God was humbling them by giving them that. But then he says, one of the other key parts of that is that 
they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I hope that sounds familiar to you. For that's what Jesus said. Recorded in several places, Matthew 4, 4 is one of those places. Do you remember the context? Jesus has not been eating for 40 days. He's led out into the wilderness and Satan tempts him. He says, if you're really the son of man, just take those rocks and turn them into bread. I know you're hungry. And Jesus' response is to refer back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He continues to recount the miracles. Your clothing didn't wear out on you. Your foot didn't swell these 40 years. Again, that's one of those ones we can read and go, okay, yeah, right, right, right. We have to make this really practical. When they're wandering through the desert, it's not like they could go, oh, oh, my strap broke. I need to run to Target. They're in the desert for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. That's miraculous. And then notice that Moses points out, I know things were hard, and I know you didn't like it, but just as a father disciplines his child, so God disciplines you. And I want you to be aware of how verse 6, in a sense, mirrors or adds on to verse 2. He says, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. He began by saying, remember what God has done. And now he says, walk in his commandments and fear him. In other words, to revere him, to live in awe of him. Ladies, I hope that all of you can go to the retreat next week to hear about what does that look like to fear God. And Moses is saying, remember what God has done. And as a result of remembering Act in a certain way. Act according to what he's called you to do. Let me say this again. This is really important. A key part of what Moses wanted people to hear was this. That God has done amazing things for them. And as they prepare to enter the promised land, they are to keep that thought primary. Remember what he's done. And it's a natural outgrowth of this. Keep his commands by walking in his ways and fearing him. Now, Despite God's goodness, despite God's protection, Moses was still concerned that the people might forget. Let's look at what some of he was concerned about. In other words, what is it that might contribute to their not remembering? The text points out a number of things, and I'm going to highlight just two areas of what might cause us to get distracted, them and us to get distracted. 
The first is, I'll just go back one chapter, and this is on the screen. You don't need to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Fear. Fear is the first thing that might contribute to not remembering. Now, we might take that word fear, and when I'm talking with somebody, we'll take that, well, I'll unpack that a bunch, of, and oftentimes it boils down to things like just struggles. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's some form of difficulty in, in work or in school. Parenting or relationships, again. There may be some sort of hardships, whether it be physical or mental illness of some sort, some diminished health in some way, or disappointment, again, in relationships with kids who are now adults and haven't turned out the way that we had hoped. All of those fall into this category of, of fear, and fear can cause us to not remember. A second thing, it's kind of the flip side, imagine a coin, if I turn that coin over, is ease or comfort. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 through 13, says, they say this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. When things are going good, when we have lots of stuff, to the Israelites, when you have all these things around you and you are going to run into the potential of forgetting God because you have all that you need. Huge challenge for us as Americans. We're so darn, darn wealthy. Even when we're thinking like we have nothing compared to other people, compared to the world, we are richest kings. Look at the next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
Notice how he repeats that. We're talking about now a short time later. In the English Bible, we know it's in chapters. They weren't there originally, but for us, from chapter 6 to chapter 8. I want you to be aware, though, of something very important. Notice that he says in verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full. God doesn't say, starve yourself. Don't enjoy the bounty of your hard work. I can't tell you the number of people that come and talk to me and are feeling guilty because they're enjoying things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things, comma, as long as we remember where did we get those things. And it wasn't from us. We may have worked hard like they had to work hard to build, like they had to work hard to produce the the food, like they had to work hard to do the different things, but where did all of that come from, even the ability to do it? It came from God. With each of these things, we do something very simple but devastating. We take our eyes off of God and put them onto ourselves. We take our eyes off of God and put them onto ourselves. But the question we have to ask is how could this be? After all that they'd been through, all that they'd seen. But we really aren't that different, are we? After all God has done for us, and we lose sight of things. Well, in addition to getting overwhelmed with either fear or comfort, Scripture gives us some additional hints why this may happen. Here are just a couple building on this same theme. Why would we forget? Deuteronomy 8, continuing the passage we're at before. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. There are people here this morning who can do incredible things. I look around and I just think of some of the things that you all can do. Teaching, leading, building, creating, managing, performing. There are things that people do that we can't do, that I cannot do. There are things that I can do 
that some of you can't do. But you know what? All that matters is the only reason we can do any of those things is because God allowed that to be in us. Some have said to me, but it's just my personality. I can just do that kind of thing. And I go, you're right. Where did you get your personality? From God. Pride is a huge stumbling block to forgetting. Another stumbling block is not remaining focused. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. That phrase, keep your soul diligently, is similar to what we see in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I preached on that a while ago. If you want to hear more about that particular passage, you can listen to that online. But it's this idea of whether it be keeping our soul diligent, it's, it's pay attention. Remember what God has done, what he's doing, and remember when you act, when you think, when you do, that it's God that's working. Pay attention. And finally, the third thing we'll look at is found in James chapter 4. A, a wonderful passage that we just don't have time to, to go through the whole passage, so we're going to look at one verse, the first verse of chapter 4. James identifies a particular problem, but then he identifies an issue that I believe fits in all sorts of arenas. He says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, the NIV says your desires, are at war within you. Let me unpack that just a little bit. We all have desires. Uh, here's a very quick biblical anthropology thing here. This is how we're made up as humans. God has created us such that we all have desires in our heart. It includes the desire to worship God, the desire to, to live for Him only, the desire to be liked, the desire to be uh, comfortable, the desire to have security, the desire to be light. Uh, I already said that one, sorry. To be in control. Uh, we have all sorts of desires. And they, I want you to hear this, please. They're not necessarily bad. There are bad desires. But not all of our desires are bad. But here's the problem. These desires are at war within us. There is a winner. When that winner is, I want to glorify God, awesome. When that winner is, I want to be in control more than I want to glorify God, 
That's what the Bible refers to, making that an idol. When I desire more to be liked and to be appreciated, to be cared for, I desire that more than I desire loving God, I've made that an idol. The desire then rules me. Those who have taken the How People Change class know that we talk about how matters of the heart are sometimes what we call the causal core of our behavior. It's what's in our heart that causes us to act in certain kinds of ways. So desires that are not God-focused when those win out, those also contribute to our not remembering or our forgetting. Now, I know a guy actually, I'm not going to tell you that story yet. I'll tell you that story in a second. Let me see if I can illustrate this other thing first. About how things can change so quickly. You're in church, have a great time worshiping God, hanging out with people, it's awesome. You leave and you get a text message and it says, text says, hey, did you hear what happened to, I'll make up a name, Bob? No, what happened to Bob? Well, I heard that he was doing, really, Do you mean that he was, why did he do that? And before you know it, you are right smack in the middle of the juiciest gossip. And you're loving it. You're like, can you, why did he do that? But you were just worshiping God. How did it happen that so quickly now, you're right in the middle of gossip? Aren't you a Christian? but you forgot God and you remembered something else. What you remembered is, I really like gossip. I like how it feels. I, no one's gonna, we're Christians, we would never say that. No. But there's times that there's things that we desire more than we desire God And that's why we change so quickly. I want you to know that our hearts are not passive. By that I mean, a passive thing would be if I said to you, oh darn it, I forgot my phone at home this morning. I didn't, thank goodness, but I've done that before. I forgot my phone. But on the flip side of that, our hearts are actually active. By that I mean our hearts want something. It's not that we forget, and I'm making this point again, we actually remember something else. So I could say, 
It's not that we forget God, but we remember something that we want more. Getting some blank looks here. Forgetting is equated with remembering, I really like to be in control. I really like to have security. I really like to feel comfortable. But please hear me. There's nothing sinful about wanting comfort. Nothing. But when I want comfort more than what I want to glorify God, as evidenced by the way I treat others, then it's sinful. Our hearts are active. So these are the desires, what James is getting at when he's talking about our desires are at war within us. But I want you to know that there's good news. We have something on our side that the Israelites didn't as a nation. Jesus knew our struggle with distraction. Everything I've just been talking about are forms of distraction that cause us to forget God or remember something else. Jesus knew that. And so the last night he's with his disciples. You remember that he introduces to them when he's in the upper room, introduces to them the coming Holy Spirit. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, Spirit will do what we naturally on our own won't do. And here's where we reach a point where we just we have to take a deep, deep breath. But God, why don't I always remember then? Why doesn't the Holy Spirit? Always remind me. And now we get the power of what goes on in our hearts. Is it more powerful than the Holy Spirit? No. But we can certainly do our best to hide, to walk away. Let me illustrate this this way. You know if you have a flashlight, brand new batteries, bright light. Flashlight, batteries are going out. It's this dull light, right? Now, you can have a flashlight where the batteries are good, but the weather is really bad. The lens on it has got dirt on it. It's got lots of junk on it, and the light is really poor. But if you take it off, you wipe off the lens, and it begins to clear out. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, I can see stuff clearly. That's a picture of what Sin does in our hearts. It just covers up what it is that God said the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things of Him. So I want you to keep this in mind. As long as sin exists in us, 
we will at times forget and remember other things. So there's an important question we have to wrestle with, and it'll be brief. How do we deal with this as believers? What do we do with this? And I want you to, for some of you, this is going to require that you hold on to your seat. That we recognize that true maturity as a Christian is becoming increasingly aware of our sin and our need for God. But it doesn't stop there. Some people go, we're supposed to feel terrible. I'm going, no, 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 no. We need to become increasingly aware of our sin and increasingly aware of God's grace that is so much bigger than our sin. So the focus isn't on our sin, it's on God and it's on His grace. But remember, (laughs) remember we don't, The fact is we don't remember by our own power. And now I want to tell you a story that I started before. I know a guy who heard this issue that it was God who was ultimately in charge in control of our entire growth, our sanctification. And he struggled with it because he wanted to know, believe that he played a part Didn't he do something to make it work? Wasn't he involved in this process somehow? It can't all be God. What about his part? I know that sounds crazy, but I know this guy well because that guy is me. And I wish I could tell you that it was 10 years ago that I had this struggle. Or that it was even a year ago that I had this struggle. It was four weeks ago when I was reading a book called Extravagant Grace, which I I highly recommend to you. I don't, oh, I did bring it here. It's called Extravagant Grace. I love the subtitle, God's Glory Displayed in Our Weakness, Our Weakness. I found myself wrestling with this thought that it was God that was ultimately in control of my sanctification. And it took me a while before I finally came to grips with the reason I was struggling with it is because I wanted some of the credit. I can't tell you how embarrassed I am to say that out loud. It sounds so stupid. But I was really wrestling with that. And I was convicted by how incredibly powerful pride is. And that leads us, leads me to forget. The other thing we need to do as believers to deal with this issue that we're distracted so easily is we need to develop what I call a lifestyle of repentance. By that I mean that we learn to seek God's forgiveness over and over and over and over and over again such that it just becomes a natural thing of what we do. 
Now, let me ask you a question, and please do not raise your hand. In fact, if you don't even want to look at me, I will not be offended. You can just look down. I want you to think to yourself, when was the last time that you asked God to forgive you? And if you remember, then I want you to think about, when was the time before that? And then I want you to just ask yourself the question, has there been any time that by your thoughts or your words or your actions you have sinned since then? That's a pretty easy one. Part of our growing and dealing with the fact that we forget so much is we need to learn to repent over and over again. That it just becomes part of what we do. It isn't a sackcloth and ashes, oh, I'm no good. It's, oh, God, please forgive me. I've been trying to do what only you can do. I need your grace. And I've used this picture with, with some of you before we've been talking. That idea of 1 John 1, 9, the second part of it that says, not only will God forgive us, but he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That idea of like being under a shower and just having water washing off the dirt. Being cleansed of all unrighteousness. Learning to develop a lifestyle of repentance. That's critical. This was summarized for me so well in a meditation that I read just a couple of weeks ago. And I want to close with this today. And you can read along with me. I'll read it. This was taken from uh, the devotional New Morning Mercies. Sin does not leave us merely guilty. It renders us unable. It robs us of the ability to live in a way that pleases God. Sin kidnap, kidnaps our desires and distorts our thoughts it controls our tongues and rules our behavior. It saps our resolve and weakens our knees. It leaves us lame, weak, and unable. We don't just need forgiveness and ultimate deliverance. We also desperately need present help. Help so that we have the will to desire and the power to do what is good in the sight of God. Our struggle with sin is so deep that only God living inside us can give us the power to please Him with our lives. I'm going to read that again. Only God living inside us can give us the power to please Him with our lives. So God doesn't just forgive us, call us to do what is right, and promise us a final home with Him. He comes to us in between. He gets inside us, working within us, because there is no possibility that we will desire and do what is right without the inner working of his power. So this is how we remember. By relying on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We cry out to God, change us that we might remember you. And as a result, think Speak and act as you call us to. Let's pray. Father God, you know our hearts completely. 
You know how it is. <laughs> you know our very thoughts before they even touch our tongues. You know the ways that we choose to live for ourselves, the ways that we forget you. Lord, how I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us, that we might remember you more. And Lord, when we do forget, would we be so quick to seek your forgiveness? Would we repent? Thank you for the gift that you have given us, that because of what Christ has done for us, that we can do these things. We praise you and we thank you now in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.